Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Okay, title of my message tonight is Kingdom Stewardship and Investment. Kingdom Stewardship and Investment. So one, two, three, here we go. Are you guys ready? It was in the year of 1976, during the month of November, when a man by the name of Mike Markula, a retired Intel employee, walked into a garage to find two men. Okay? In Mike's words, these two men were bearded, they were smelly, and they dressed super weird. Both men were weirdly named Steve and were found hard at work in this garage. There's a Steve Jobs, hello, and there's a Steve Wozniak. In that garage, Mike was introduced to the Apple II. The Apple II was the world's first ever single board computer. It was elegant and had a beautifully crafted design. It was the first single board, a single board computer that had slots. It had eight slots in which you could plug a bunch of other nerdy things into it, okay? It was a piece of art. Um, to him, and this computer was really, really advanced for its time. So advanced that the problem was, is he, also in Mike's words, is he's, you could walk down the street in year 76 and ask people, do you want a personal computer? And they would respond, uh, what's that? Crazy time, right? So Mike realized, gosh, oh my gosh, the opportunity here is just too great. It's like I struck gold. And so Mike helped both Steves write up a business plan, and the business plan said this. This is amazing. With $142,000, we could be cash flow positive in nine months. That's insane. He must have really believed in it, right? And Mike said that he came to the conclusion that they could build a Fortune 500 company in less than five years. And therefore, he decided he would invest the money that was needed out of his own personal pocket. So Mike's initial investment was $250,000, and later Mike became Apple's third employee, and then eventually one-third owner of the company Apple. Pretty crazy stuff, right? So we are now in the year 2021, and think about how huge, how big, how successful the company Apple is. Some of you are just like, no, it's an evil company. Don't talk. Well, just track with me. Um, let me ask you this question, almost like a silly, uh, obvious question, but let's just imagine if you know everything about Apple right now, 2021, but you could go back to 1976, and actually you were the first person to enter that smelly, double-steved garage, right? And you knew everything that it could be in 2021, would you invest? I mean, silly question, right? I mean, you would be a capital D dummy if you didn't invest, right? Thank you, Alex. See, if you knew the future and everything that was in store for this company, you would not even think about it. I guarantee you, you would jump all in. Would you not sell everything? Would you not beg? Would you not borrow? Would you not steal, right? You would turn into an insane person. 
you would turn into an Apple evangelist. You would also tell everyone you know about the company, you'd talk to them about your investment, and you would even evangelize and tell people to invest, right? Like anybody that's down and out, or like you'd probably sit down like Uncle Jerry and Aunt Susie and be like, hey, trust me, sit down, okay? I promise you I have a sure thing here. It's gonna be crazy, you have no idea. Just give, just give me everything, um, and I'll help you, right? And, and you'd also be quick about it, right? You'd be like, let's do this quick. Like, we're in on it early. You'd invest in anything. Apple would be all that you'd think about, right? Since you know the end result, so imagine if you knew everything, but you went back in time, right? You're tracking. Each day would be filled with so much joy because you'd be so excited as each new product comes out because you know what it's going to do. And you get excited because your wallet just keeps getting bigger and bigger, Right? And, and get this, maybe you're tracking with me. Anytime the company would have a bad day, you would not question your investment because you know what it'd look like in 2021. So you'd be an Apple evangelist. It makes me think about all the silly, cute little Bitcoiners out there right now. You know, every minute just checking their crypto wallet, right? Like just kind of tweaking, smiling ear to ear, trading with friends, talking about it, YouTube threads, all that stuff. Obviously, maybe I sound a little sour because I feel like I missed my window of buying. And some of you nerds here are just like, no, buy, buy, buy now. You're like, okay. Right? Uh, but really, right now, there's crypto evangelists all over, right? It's because maybe they struck gold, right? We'll see. We'll see, right? Side note on that, I just feel like I would be so, I'd be so rich right now if I had a dollar, maybe even a quarter if I heard a little silly crypto user, every time I heard, hey, hey, buy now, because uh, Elon Musk, if he put so much in it, uh, it's probably good, right? I'd have a dollar. I'd be a rich man if I just heard that one more time. Okay? Um, Lord Elon. Okay. Anyways, are you guys alive? I'm up here having fun. I'm sweating. Here we go. So if you were the first person to go behind the scenes, this guy, everyone's like, this guy is crazy. So what is he wearing? So if you were the first person to go behind the scenes in that 1976 garage and get a peek, would you not invest? In the Gospels, as we read, uh, we find Jesus teaching a lot using parables. Scholars uh, differ on the exact amount of parables. Jesus, uh, we're told that Jesus used about over 100 metaphors, but we're told that he, he, he spoke and taught at least 36 parables. So there's 15 found in Matthew, six occur in Mark, and actually there's 36 in Luke. 16 are repeats and 19 are new or unique. And as we know, Jesus was a, ma- a master storyteller. And he at times taught his disciples, and so us, through the scriptures, uh, through parables. See, these parables were earthly stories with heavenly meaning, right? In these parables, uh, these earthly stories with eternity in mind, all had a heavenly application, and they also had, and this is the kicker for the parables, a heavenly invitation. A kingdom invitation truly is the most important thing when it comes to Jesus' parables, See, there are many reasons why Jesus uh, came to the earth. But overall, we know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? To whoever who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus came to give us eternal life. And through his death and resurrection, we are now united back with our father. And then because of that transaction, because of that transformation through Jesus, that then opens the door to why Jesus also came. 
It was to reveal his kingdom. That in light of us being born again, seeing him as a model, as being one with the Lord, which we are now invited into that same reality they had, into the kingdom of God. So Jesus came to say kingdom is now. It is now revealed and jump in. You are a part of it. How do we know this all to be true? We know Mark 1.15 says, the time is fulfilled. That's crazy. It doesn't say the time is half fulfilled. So the time is fulfilled, and what is that time? It's, it's kind of that first part that I was talking about, him coming, taking dominion back over. And he says, the time is fulfilled, so then what? The kingdom is at hand. So he came to fulfill, and he's like, hey, now you can reach out and, and grab the kingdom. So one major reason why Jesus came was to reveal his kingdom. And one way he did that, I would argue, is through his parables. See, the parables open up our eyes to truth. They reveal deeper insights into our Lord and his kingdom. They give us glimpses into how the spiritual realm works and operates. So parables reveal truth to us Jesus followers. But hear this. They also conceal truth. They conceal truth. See, in Matthew 13, Jesus was actually asked why he speaks to people in parables. And he replies, this is awesome. Because the knowledge of the secrets. Wow. Secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but not to them. Who is them? It's sons of the world, non-believers. Side note, that's why when we read uh, parables, we see a lot of the non-believers like have their noses up, like Pharisees' noses up to Jesus. When he speaks in parables, they don't understand it. They thought he was crazy, right? So Jesus says, that's why I speak in parables, to reveal and conceal truth. Later on in Matthew, he says, this is so awesome. In the parables are the fulfilled prophecies found in Isaiah. He says, blessed are the eyes because they see, and blessed are the ears because they hear. And get this, for truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see and hear what you have. Can you just sit in that for a second? Like what a good God and what a privilege that we have right now. That the secrets that we actually have at hand's reach, there's people that were longing to be in the seat that you are here in Newburgh St. Hill. Okay. Uh, I would argue it's almost like we struck gold. So he conceals truth in them, and certain people don't have the ears to hear them. You're like, uh, wait, uh, sweet baby uh, Build-A-Bear Jesus, uh, aren't you all about inclusion? Why are you concealing truth from people, right? He's like, well, no. Jesus so honors the free will of his people, and he delights in seeing his people choose to hear him. He isn't a hovering, forceful father. Like, don't get me wrong, when you invite him into your life, he gets all up in your business, in a good way, right? But he's looking for people that search out his secrets, and not everyone does. This guy telling the truth? I know this also because the Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Yeah, but isn't he chasing everyone down and trying to include everyone? Yes. Yes. But he's seeing what will you do with the kingdom, or let me word it this way, what will you do with the gold that you struck? We love him because he first loved us. That's true. But if you aren't drawing near to him, he will also honor that free will. Okay. Some people are just waiting around. I've heard this. Hey, you know what? God has my address. He knows where to find me. Good luck with that. Draw near to him and see what happens. Okay? So Jesus loves when you have ears to hear him. 
We are his sheep and we know his voice. So we are the ones that can understand the parables that we're going to look at tonight. He loves when you find the gold and invest in the kingdom that he's inviting you into. These parables also force us to make decisions. This is important to understand because we're going to get there in a second. Please, please track with me. Because I think sometimes when we read the parables or teach the parables, a lot of times we can actually over-allegorize them. Like, what, is he, what is he saying? Okay, hear me. I don't think this is bad, right? Interpreting the, the parables to find deep meaning is actually very important, and we should do that. Like, for example, do we all know the prodigal son? Right? So you can easily be like, hey, the swine in that story, the pigs, right? they represent the demonic. Okay, cool. The ring and the robe on the, with the father right? and the coat, okay, our new authority, our new identity. Okay, we can do that. That's awesome. But we can also get so minute with our allegorizing that sometimes we just miss the big point that Jesus is telling us. Like we miss the bigger invitation. See, the parables so hit us square in the face, and they actually create a fork in the road for a decision. So sometimes we run the risk of allegorizing too much where then we don't make decisions. Like instead, actually, you should read it like this and, and uh, actually, hello, is that my baby? And then uh, this actually symbolizes this. And that means this and that means this. See, I love the allegory, but sometimes we do that because we, I argue, in the church are afraid to be confronted with what he's saying. Like, whoa, 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 Lord, my Savior, like, don't get intense with me. Can you just talk to me about sunflowers and how I'm going to be blessed? It's like, mm, okay. See, when we do that, we can miss the big objective of what Jesus is trying to accomplish because we're off trying to figure out what it really means. But tonight, let's see some big points that Jesus is making. So before we get in, you're like, gosh, can we just read the parables? Okay, hold on. We're getting there. Two big objectives Jesus is trying to tell us in his parables. Next slide. So you'll find these in most of the parables. Objective is to reveal the severity of the lack of his kingdom. So you read a parable and you're like, oh gosh, you know, my house is on fire. So he shows us life's drama. In the parables, he, he shows us stark, real warnings, judgment, I could word it this way, like impending doom. We see those, in those and that comes, right? Um, and, and what comes from the impending doom is he leads us to important decisions about that doom, okay? The second objective is then he reveals the good news, the kingdom, okay? The kingdom is at hand. So let me word it this way, and this is how good God is. This is simple stuff, but look at what I'm wearing. I don't know what that means. But... He's saying, hey, with the parables, he's like, hey, there's a fire, and here's the fire escape. It's awesome. I don't know if you guys are getting this, but I, I sure. Okay, okay, here's the fire in life for everybody, not just believers. This is the fire that exists, but let me show you the escape. Let me word it this way. Hey, let me show you how you have the greatest investment opportunity at hand. It's like Jesus is like, hey, this is what the world's doing. But he's like, hey, I'm pulling you into my 1976 garage, okay? And I'm saying, hey, if you invest in this thing, it's going to be huge for you. Others can't see it. Others can't hear it. But can you? See, Jesus was like the first Dave Ramsey, <laughs> right? He, you, call, you call into the hotline. You're like, Dave, my house is on fire. And he's just like, okay, do these steps, get some envelopes, figure it out, and see what happens, right? Like that's what the parables are. Okay? Let me show you what I mean. Let me show you what I mean. 
You're like, just read the parable. Okay, well, buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Okay, let's look at the screen. Please follow along. I'm going to be reading on here, but please follow along. Here we go. Luke 12, 15 through 21. The parable of the rich fool. Do you guys see it? Are you guys awake? Okay. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Okay, that stinks. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, Eureka, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, chip gains. And then I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, oh, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Chill out, put the TV on, cook a steak, right? Make an Aperol spritz, have a glass of Pinot, drink, and be merry. So dance around the kitchen and maybe get a little buzzed. That's what this guy is saying. Okay. But God said to him, look at this. That's what that guy thinks, right? But what does God say? You fool. Right? It makes me think of like Napoleon Dynamite, which is when Kip gets slapped in the face and his glasses fall. You fool! Right? I don't know if that's what he says, but Jesus is just like, you fool. This very night, oh my gosh, that doom, think of those objectives, okay? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. <laughs> right? So do we see these objectives? The fire, the bad news. So actually what we see is like, it's like we could read and, and come to the conclusion, like unexpected death, okay? And you're having to take account of what you have. And the Lord's like, hey, now's not the time to be Netflix and chilling, okay? He's like, wake up, fool, and here's the good news. The kingdom is here and now, and actually be rich towards God. Okay. So what we learn from that in one sentence is this. If you're taking notes. To live for possessions and be ignorant about the kingdom is foolish. Jesus calls you a fool. To put your heart into possessions and invest in the world and just totally forget about the kingdom and Netflix and chill it's idiotic. Okay. See, Jesus gives you insight how actually where your heart should be and the decision that is at hand. Once again, I love Dave Ramsey. I'm bringing him back in here. It's like calling the Dave Ramsey hotline and just being like, hey, Uncle Davey, um, I'm scared. And he's like, okay. I actually kind of hear something like this all the time on the Dave Ramsey show. I just bought a Porsche and I don't know how to continue to pay the payment. He's like, well, how much do you make? Well, I make like $30 a week at my lemonade stand. And you're just like, Dave's just like, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Sit down. Now's not the time for Netflix and chill. Sell the car. Get a second job. Maybe sell different types of lemonade at your cart. Um, get your rainy day fun and like watch what happens. Okay? So there's the fire. Here's the escape. Next parable. Let's follow along. And we're going to really camp on this parable uh, kind of for the rest of the night um, because this parable over the time has been kind of confusing to most people. And if we get kind of minute with it, I'm, to be honest, I'm sure maybe I missed something in this. But also we're his sheep and we know his voice. He made these parables for us. So actually we don't serve a God of confusion. So actually I think we can get something from this. Amen? Okay. So he, here we go. 
Wait, do you guys see it? Okay. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Sheesh. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. And this is kind of like a white collar worker here. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you, do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Here we go. Here's the kicker. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Wow. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Wow. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He's talking about himself, I think. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here's the kicker. Oh, gosh, Jesus, do you have to talk this way? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money, wow, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones to justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Wow. Okay, so the shrewd manager. And I would argue this is not a mistake that this parable is right after the prodigal son because this is the prodigal manager, right? Prodigal means wasteful. It's not being wise with your inheritance. It's not investing properly, right? So this manager is wasting all of his owner's possessions, and then the impending doom is shown, right? So those objectives to his parables. What happened? In the words of Donald Trump, not on his Twitter, but his old show, Donnie Trumpets came in and said, you're fired, okay? And then the manager had an Eureka moment, okay? And he's like, okay, I need to go to each debtor and give major discounts and get money quickly, right? And why did he do that? To gain a good reputation, right? So that when all of this is over, uh, people will welcome him into their houses, so you could be like, hey, remember what I did for you. Are you guys tracking? Okay. Because get this, people of this world, not you and me, I hope, people of this world are always trying to secure their futures. But how many of you are just happy that as believers our future is secured? Okay. Then the major shock element in the parable is this. The master praised him. <sighs> what? This is when it gets confusing because you're like, wait, Jesus, I thought I knew you, right? Like Jesus has the line, the people of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. You're like, wait, wait, Lord. Okay, so you don't like that or, or, or do you want me to be shrewd or, or like, like, like the people of the world? Okay, okay, weird. So even stop, stop there for a second. The, the word shrewd, 
more often than not, is a negative word, or is, is negative, and even evil like this guy. But hear me, it could also weirdly be a positive thing, like this. Think of it this way. Like a business person who is able to take advantage of every hidden opportunity. Okay? So let me ask you a question tonight. If the people of this world, non-believers, can be this, so they can be shrewd with their temporal future, can you be shrewd about your eternal future? Okay. Can you get crafty and even a little intense with your kingdom investment? Are you looking for every hidden opportunity to expand God's kingdom and lay treasures up in heaven for another age to come? These are good questions to ask. Then verse 9, Jesus gets even more crazy in here and he says, hey, hey, practically, use what the people use for unrighteousness. Use it, but kind of judo it for kingdom purposes. You're like, what? Make friends with it. Use these temporal things to bring about kingdom impact. Jesus today is saying to all of us here, make the most of your investment. It's like, hey, dude, you struck gold. It's called the kingdom. (laughs) Invest here with eternity in mind. Why? So that you are welcomed in with cheering and friends seeing that you invested well and made the most out of what God has given you, right? So think about the parable of the talents, stewardship, right? Then verse 10 and 11, we're going to move on here, kind of are just like heart stingers, right? Like people, I hear this, like people have said in the past, like if I had more, I'd give more. <laughs> if, if God blessed me more, I would invest in the kingdom more. If I had X, Y, and Z, then I would prophesy. If I was more equipped and maybe understood it more, then I'd, I'd do what Jesus said and, and pray for healing. If I had more encouragement, then I'd encourage. You fill in the blank. It's like, um, not true. You're like, well, Jake, you don't know me that well. Well, Jesus does, right? And he's saying, hey, you're investing and stewarding today, and is, is what you do with that will determine how I reward you more. What you are doing with the kingdom today determines what you will do when he gives you more. Right? It's not about the money amount. It's, it's about what internal value do you have every day to expand the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, if I, how will I give you more eternal things if you're not stewarding yours and others' possessions well now? Then Jesus gets really clear with us and he says, hey, you can't serve two masters. Like, not even you can try. He's just like, you can't. And what people value highly actually is detestable to him. But we are believers. We are the set-apart ones. And he's actually saying, I would argue, if he's saying that, he's saying the negative, I think we can see what he's saying in the positive. He's saying, hey, actually, when you value my kingdom, when you value eternity, when you invest into that, I see that as excellent. I see that as good. Jesus today is saying, I love to see you invest and pour your stocks, if you will, into eternity. I see that as wealth for you. Are we getting it? See, we're saying all of this in this parable. Again, what's the big point? Okay, the shrewd manager sees the end coming. So the fire, right? The doom, the impending doom. He realizes the time is now to start making money decisions. 
Jesus commends the guy. We're like, but why? Because what the Lord wants us to be reminded of today, and if you needed, if you're going to take one thing from my talk, this whole talk, write this down, is that your next slide, your stewardship is coming to an end. In light of eternity, in light of the world, for how long that we have here. So take account of your stewardship today and your investment. Because we're going to have to give an account. So today, just consider this. Your stewardship is coming to an end. And so I would argue and encourage you, get busy for the kingdom. See, Jesus is waking us up today, again, to get us excited about what opportunity is at hand. Like reminding you of like some inside information trading gold that you found, right? It's like, hey, this stock, like, like he's reminding you of this. Matthew 13, 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that finds buried treasure, and what does he do? He sells everything and buys the whole field. So the kingdom of God is like you being the lucky one who gets invited into the 1976 garage. The kingdom of heaven is like you're out there digging. I don't know where you're digging, like down by the lake or something. You're digging, and you're digging, and you're just like, (laughs) my daughter loves when I make that noise. That was the part I told you. I started making the noise, and she laughed. No one else laughed, though. But it's like you're digging, and you're just like, (laughs) gold. I found gold. Right? And you're like, I'm going to sell everything. So today, more questions for you. Do you still have that joy and realization of the gold you found? Are you still inside your spirit making that weird noise that I was making? Are you still in this game, not game, but in this life, are you still selling everything and being crazy and purchasing the whole field? Are you? It's a good question. So now uh, we're going to start on the path of kind of ending this thing. So to end, I have some questions. Next slide. Why do we grow numb to our investment? Or what causes us not to invest? I have two reasons that I can think of. The first one's up there. Here we go. We don't have a full theological understanding of the severity of the bad news in the parables. Because we live in a Western world, life's good. Since we can't fully grasp this impending doom, it doesn't seem real to us. I'm not trying to scare you. You'll see. I'll encourage you at the end, I promise. So what I mean is, we in the church, I don't think, uh, a lot of times don't think or dwell on heaven that much and what it actually means or what it looks like or what the scriptures teach about or even hell for that matter. So some in the church are under the impression that heaven is some disembodied place that is almost ran like a weird communist country, right, where everyone gets the same reward, right? Everyone gets the same cute little leotard, same bow and arrow, right? And we all know how to just jump on clouds and play bow and arrow tag. That's what some people in the church, because we just haven't thought about it that much. But as Bible students here at St. Sil University, uh, we know that the scriptures actually paint an entirely different picture. So in the Psalms, it talks about God is renewing the world. Isaiah uses language like new heavens and the new earth. Peter says the same type of stuff. John in Revelation, if you remember, at the end, he says, I saw a new heavens and a new. Awesome. So the biblical vision is that we are back on earth doing earth things. In a better renewed earth that Jesus made happen, where we are resurrected, 
we're resurrected, then we go to judgment. But those who put trust in Jesus move on to heaven, the new heaven, new earth, right? And we get a better glorified body. Can I get an amen? Hello. That's probably my biggest prayer. I'm like, on earth as it is in heaven, glorified body, now muscles in Jesus' name. (laughs) So get this. We are back on earth, and we have resources. So that's why Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. The Bible talks about this all the time, that God is a rewarder. Jesus is like, hey, sister, brother, sit down. We all get into heaven equally. But listen, God rewards people. Some people are like, okay, reward, uh, prop, like property, like, okay, I don't like capitalism. I might get in trouble for that. Well, you won't like heaven, okay? Uh, you're given treasures and heavenly wealth. And there is invitations to all believers to help co-labor and create treasures in heaven. Jesus today is telling you today that you can do that. He's saying, I want to reward you today for your heavenly stewardship. So when we forget about our heavenly treasures, when we forget what he's doing in us and what we are investing in, um, it, it makes us not want to invest anymore. We grow numb to it, Right? We need to constantly be living in a place, oh, oh, I'm living for a different age to come. The second reason why we might not invest. Next slide. The devil, oh, it says devils. Well, there's probably devil and his little minions, but the devil <laughs> comes to distract us with ourselves and the cares of this world. Oh, gosh, we're going to get real here. But I did say I'm going to encourage you at the end. See, the devil wants you to be more concerned about this world than heaven where you mistake this life for the next life, right? So what do we do? Uh, We crush and kill what the Bible talks about is worldliness. Worldliness. What is worldliness? It's concerns and cares of this world, this life. We kill off other earthly fantasies. See, worldliness creeps in when we prioritize other goals, other pursuits, and agendas that are honestly totally worthless and don't matter in eternity. They don't go with you to the age to come. See, I'll use this silly example. Alex, you'll like this one. I love tennis. I fantasize about tennis all the time. I I promise you I can get really, really concerned about tennis, and I cast my cares on it all the time. (laughs) I think about a new racket. Why? Because that pro has it. I then want all the gear, and then I don't know maybe hopefully you guys relate to this and just your own stuff, uh, then somehow I think about the gear, but then somehow I jump to me like wearing the gear and I'm always more buffed than I think. And then all of a sudden, here's the other big jump. I'm in the gear, uh, the tennis racket, the shoes, everything, but then I'm randomly in the gear in Positano, Italy. I'm just like, okay, that's where I am. And I think about what I'd do there. I'd eat the best pasta. I'd drive that car. I'd be in that hotel. See, it's funny, but... Dreaming, and and, and I'm kind of joking because dreaming can be fun and it doesn't have to be evil. It can stay fun. But to make my point, when I start living for that, when I start fueling from that, living for that vacation, what you do week in and week out is really just to get you to that vacation that's in three months. When I'm setting up my life and my investments to make something happen for myself, hear me tonight. That's worldliness. It just is. See, in that moment when we operate that way, we change, we change roles from stewards to owners. 
Owners are constantly trying to invest more for the sake of either raising the price of something, so holding on to things so over time they appreciate. Owners also invest more into something so that they can sell that thing for something bigger and better. And that's, that's fine in one sense, but, but also we are called as Christians to be stewards. Think about the Garden of, of Eden. And, and actually, yeah, I, before I said that that's that one point that I want you to take away is like, hey, your uh, management's coming to an end. Here's the second one. I'm adding one, okay? I just decided this. I'm adding the second one. Actually, maybe do I have a slide for it? I don't know. What's the next slide? You're not an owner. You're a steward. You're not an owner. You're a steward. You don't own your body. You don't own your money. You don't own your spouse. You don't own your daughter, your son. You're actually a steward of what the Lord has given you. And you're going to have to take account for that. So consider that. So in this life, don't mistake yourself for an owner when actually you're a steward. Like a garden, everything, think about your life being a garden, like, like planted in front of you. And this is when it starts getting encouraging. Hold on. Your only job in that, like all the seeds that are planted in the garden is because God put them there. And God says, hey, your job is to steward this. Water it, nurture it, but don't worry because it's the Lord who brings increase. And he brings increase because he wants to. He wants to reward you. So here's the good news. You can be at rest tonight. And, and here's the other good news. You can actually enjoy life. You can enjoy life because now you are working in tandem with a solid Lord named Jesus who says that I'm now the rock that you work from. Come labor with me. Come invest with me. And watch how my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a good word. See, worldliness creeps into our heart. It's when we see a picture of the earthly good life or even an experience in life that's really, really good. Those are awesome. And not, but then what happens is when you experience and you're like, how do I get more of that that I just experienced? Like this deep longing. How do I maneuver my way to be a part of this now? It's worldliness. Hear me, tennis is cool, vacations are cool, new cars are cool, fresh, crispy wardrobes cool, or what are the kids, drip? Drip is what the kids are saying, okay? It's cool. Or I've also done this. I actually love to do this. Have you ever uh, drove through a nice neighborhood and just looked at all the houses, and you're like, you're like I want to live there? That's may- maybe good, but then when it gets weird is when you're almost like evil laughing in the car, and you're like, how do I get myself there? right? Now we're going to get real here of like, because what you're doing is my real life of joy would start once I have keys to that kingdom. My real life of joy is when I get keys to that job, because then I'll have that paycheck. And we say subconsciously these things, God, I I promise you, I'm going to love you, Lord, with everything, but also on the outskirts, I'm going to kind of design my life perfectly with X, Y, and Z so that I can actually maybe one day be a part of this and obtain this. That's not cool. That's worldliness. Jesus is reminding us that all that fades away. And actually, actually, what I think he's saying today is get shrewd, if you will, about another investment. 
Nothing is wrong with nice things or nice places. But when you start to feel like you are behind on your investments, <laughs> behind on your earthly stewardship, and you start saying, no, 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 like the party's actually really over there, so how do I maneuver, how do I get there? Worldliness. Because how many of you know, as believers, a lot of those things just truly, truly do not matter. To end, Jesus is knocking on our door again today, and he's encouraging us once again to say, hey, major inside trading investment hot tip here. Hey, every day, invest into heaven and see the wealth that comes to your household. See, this talk today exists to bring so much peace and encouragement to you. This type of talk is supposed to bring you so much joy to stir you up to kingdom involvement again. All of this that we're talking about is to cause you to have more joy in your sowing today. See, if there's anyone here today that just kind of feels like I've missed it, you're here at church where we're reading the scriptures, there's the shedding of light, you can't miss it. If your heart's towards him, you can't miss him. Sow into the kingdom today even more. And remember, remember that sowing into the kingdom doesn't look like a churchy mold. Like I'm not sowing into the kingdom right now because I'm a pastor with a mic. I've heard it said before. I don't know who said this, but I love this. If God is calling you to be an elementary school teacher, if he's calling you to be a coach, if he's calling you to be a janitor, do not do the injustice and stoop down and become a preacher. Okay. Be who God has called you to be. Daily be present to the kingdom you're a part of and sow into it wildly. Invest extravagantly. That's why you're alive. It's not just money. It's your time. It's your gift of prophecy. It's praying for the sick. It's becoming love. It's obtaining fruit of the spirit. So it's having self-control, growing in wisdom. It's sowing into the kingdom is becoming a minister of hope and joy wherever you go. It's waking up fully today and say, Lord, I struck gold. Say that with me. I struck gold. Thanks for inviting me into your garage. You didn't need to repeat that part, but that's awesome. I love you guys. I love the involvement. This is the best opportunity on the planet. See, heaven is cheering you on today. Heaven is reminding you how filthy rich you are. That makes me think of like, keep the change, you filthy animal. But you're like, hey, 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 hey. Is this guy a prosperity guy? No, hold on. You're like, hey, you don't know, like, like, hey, I'm checking, like, I, you, you don't see the numbers on my Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, uh, check, like, checking? No, 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 no. Like, maybe, yeah, get on the Ramsey train, get the envelopes, we'll figure that out later. But you're looking at the wrong account. Log into your heavenly account. It's probably called, like, Angels Trust and Co. Invest, invest in that C and see today how rich you really are. Because how many of you remember that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? That's a good word. Let's all stand. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier